Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where I discuss all things pop culture, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games, and all things pop culture. On this week's episode of the podcast, Once More with Feeling, the musical episode of Buffy turns 20 years old, Survivor turns into a live tribal very quickly, and more on this week's episode of the podcast. If you are a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan like I am, this week has a very big anniversary for all of us fans of the show as November 6th will be 20 years since the musical episode Once More with Feeling premiered on UPN that night. November 6, 2001, it's really hard to believe it has been 20 years since that episode premiered on UPN. It still remains my favorite episode of the series. Every Halloween, I always watch the episode. It's become a Halloween tradition. I remember going to, went to a Buffy and Angel fan convention back in 2003, and the musical was such a huge part of the convention where they, every day of the convention, they would run the musical to where everybody could gather and watch it. And there were people that would do it every single time, (laughs) every time that it was shown, people would just pile into the room and watch it. And that was one thing for me when I went to that convention, I made it clear to the people I was with that I was not leaving this convention until I got to watch the musical as part of that convention experience. And of course they were completely great with that because they loved the episode too. So that was definitely like when I looked at the schedule on that convention, it's like, when is this going to be shown? Because I want to make sure that I see it. And it's a very popular episode among so many. And it was season six, episode seven was when that aired, so it was a little bit early into the sixth season. Sixth season was very dark. That's one thing that a lot of fans always discuss, is that season six was definitely just so dark. It didn't feel like... So this was more of a lighter episode, and there were some lighter episodes in the mix. I think it was more the back end of season six is when it really got darker, you know, leading up to the finale and everything that was going on there. But the musical episode just landed in a really good spot here in season six. And I remember all the weeks leading up to the premiere of this, they would release these just awesome promotional things for it, whether it was commercials or whatever, And it was always just like this quick little thing of like showing the behind the scenes and showing them like rehearsing. And it just looked like it just had such a big feel like this is going to be a big event. This is going to be really awesome. And for weeks, just seeing those those promos run on UPN, it was just like you're pumped to see what this is going to be. And there was just so much promotion for it just right out of the gate. And it's like, I've got the poster. I still have the actual poster, you know, that they released uh, probably right right around that time. They released the poster where you could get the Once More Feeling poster. I still have that. 
very proudly on my wall. It's very, very awesome. And, of course, they released the CD soundtrack because, of course, the music was so popular with it that they released the soundtrack of it, which I actually listened to lately because I wanted to make sure everything was real fresh in my mind as I talked about this. One thing cool with the CD soundtrack is that Mondo, at one point, they released a vinyl of this a few years ago. The soundtrack did it with in conjunction with Fox Music. And they released it, including a new cover for it that looked really cool. And inside, there's a really cool flip-out featuring an animated drawing depicting the opening scene of Buffy in the Graveyard. It's very, very cool. Sold for $25. Of course, obviously, it's long sold out now. I actually looked on eBay this week because I thought, I just, I'm curious to see what that is going for. And you're not going to get it for $25 now. I'll say that for fact. Um, I looked at some of the sold listings, and it sold recently in the last few months, like in the range from $140 all the way up to $275 sealed and new. So it's it's a very collectible item for Buffy fans. Clearly, I would love to have it, even just to have the flip out in the middle with that with that uh, drawing. I think the drawing is just really incredible. I'd love to just have it for that, to just display it. Just very, very cool. So I'm really glad that they did that. It was an awesome cover. So, and then vinyl, anything you re-release on vinyl is uh, just a hit anymore. So this episode here was actually shot in 16 by 9 which was very different from Buffy. As Buffy was very 4x3. They stuck 4x3. That was the way it was going to be. And to the point where it's been an issue for, you know, when they would release some of these episodes now and they try to make them 16x9 and it just doesn't work. And they've made it clear that Buffy was always meant to be 4x3. Now, with the 16x9, I'll talk about this later on, you know, with it being a musical and everything, with it being a different presentation, Joss wanted this in 16 by 9. So this is the only Buffy episode to be 16 by 9 and not 4 by 3. So this was released on, the first time it was put on DVD was, of course, part of the sixth season DVD set. Now before that, it was sold as a screener. At, you'd see like screener copies that that would be available to buy at conventions. The convention I was at uh, back in 03, of course it hadn't been, the season sets hadn't come out at the time, so the only way to get the musical on DVD at the time, unless you recorded it at home when it aired, was to buy these screener copies. And these things were a hot seller the whole time at that convention, every time I would look around, and these and the copies were just everywhere. All the vendors all around that vendor room had had the musical, the screener copies that they were selling. And I saw those things selling all weekend. They were they were a hot item. So as far as an official release, it was released on the season six DVD that was put out on May twenty-fifth, two thousand four. So there was a major in-between time from when you know the musical aired and then when it was actually released on DVD. And you have to remember that also this is back at the time to where 
box sets were still new and they were still being put out. So even though you would say be on season seven of a show that was airing live on TV, you know, you might only be to season two on the box sets that were coming out. And that's just the way it was at the time to where they were releasing them, you know, every, some shows were coming out about every six months, nine months, kind of somewhere around in that range. And you would get a new box set and you would just have to keep waiting till they finally got up to the current day. And that's just so crazy to think about now with how quickly things are released. But, you know, DVD season sets were still fairly new at that point. So there was a lot of backtracking that was going on. And so season six wasn't released until May 25th, 2004, which included the musical episode. And to put it into context, season five was released on DVD on December 9th, 2003. So right after the convention that I was at, you know, season five was still a little bit of a way from being released even on DVD. The episode itself ran longer than any other Buffy episode, and I'm going to talk about that later on, too, with some of the notes that are told in uh, Joss Whedon's commentary on the Season 6 set. Now, when, uh, of course, it was longer on the episode with UPN, in reruns, this is where it would get really frustrating, especially if you're such a fanatic of this episode, in reruns, the episode would always be cut in places to fit it for time in a normal time slot, you know, whether it was syndication or reruns or whatever, it was always cut back down and you'd be watching it like, oh my goodness, that whole part's gone. Like, it seems like I remember, if I remember right, the whole bunny thing from Anya, I think that whole thing was cut from the rerun, if I remember right. It just cut from one thing to the next and left her part out, but... It was always frustrating watching the reruns to see just what was cut out. So, as far as on the DVD set with the Season 6 DVD set, there is a 28-minute behind-the-scenes documentary on it that's really cool where they talk to Joss and they interview Anthony Stewart Head, Amber Benson, James Marsters. I believe they actually talked to James kind of one-on-one in that. Uh, of course, everybody else, you're just kind of around, you know, seeing the behind the scenes and listening to them kind of interact and rehearse. So Joss talks about in the behind the scenes, you know, where he wrote the script and the music and that him and his wife sang it. And then they handed it off of this is what I want to do, where they had written the script and then written the music and performed the music on the CD with their own voices to be like, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. Let's, let's do this thing. So on this behind the scenes, we get a lot of cool, like behind the scenes of Buffy in the graveyard scene, the meetings, seen a lot of production meetings where they're planning out the scenes, how many extras they need, blah, blah, blah. Behind the scenes with James, where he's rehearsing rest in peace while playing the guitar, which was really cool watching him, like outside the audio booth, you know, where he's out there playing the guitar and singing along, trying to make sure he has it all right, you know, and everything, doing all this before he goes in to record the vocals in the booth. And that's very cool. And they show a lot of behind the scenes of that scene in the graveyard with James and Sarah. And 
they show a lot of the dance rehearsal footage of something to sing about with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Amber Benson, Emma Caulfield. And then they actually show a lot of the actual scene as well. You see Michelle with her choreography for Dawn, where she's practicing in the studio for dance. Nicholas Brendan and Emma Caulfield practicing, learning their song, and also behind the scenes of their scene, and also recording the vocals in the booth. And Amber Benson, they talk to her recording, show her talking about it, and just kind of giving her thoughts on the musical and like her approach to everything, and recording the vocals for Under Your Spell. Just a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff. And, of course, behind-the-scenes of Dawn and the Demons dance scene with Sweet and the makeup effects for Sweet. Just uh, pretty amazing what all went on with that. And that's so much of the musical often gets the attention on the musical part and everything. But, man, the visual effects in this thing, too, with, like, the makeup and everything. You know, that, that team that they had there that did makeup and just visual things like that, just they were always incredible with what they did and and uh, making Sweet just look incredible in this. So, of course, they talked to Anthony Stewart Head. It's really hard for me to get back into, because I've been watching Ted Lasso lately, it's so hard for me to get back in, like, in the pattern of seeing him this Giles and like this really nice man again, because he plays such a complete opposite of character in Ted Lasso. It really messed with me when I first started watching Ted Lasso. And I'm like, I, I cannot get used to Anthony Stewart head being like this in this kind of a role. Cause it's so opposite of what I was used to him as Giles. It was just very funny, but it's just very, very cool. There's a lot of good behind the scenes stuff in this and you see a lot of like where uh you know nicholas is trying to get into his scene and get into this and everything and trying to learn you know how because it's something that was completely out of his out of his comfort zone doing something like this with a musical and he did so great at it so on the dvd set as well there's a commentary from joss whedon on there as well and just a lot of lot of details. He's very rapid fire in the commentary, just uh, constantly uh, giving a lot of information about the things that they the shot and and a lot of the backstory and things like that. And by the time you know the commentary was over, you could tell there was just so much more that he could have talked about and put in there. So some of the things that he talked about. In the commentary, you know, of course he talks about if it was going to be a musical, he wanted it in widescreen, he wanted plenty of color, and he wanted it, you know, he wanted to do it right. If we're going to do a musical, we're going to do it right. And this, of course, was something that he had wanted to do for a while. And, you know, they they put the blame on uh, the part, a party that he held years before to where they all gathered together and were having a party and several of them started singing and he looked around and was like, wow, there's, I've got a lot of good voices here. You know, this, I think I could do a musical or something. Of course they, they kind of, <laughs> they kind of place a lot of the blame on James because I think he was kind of one of them that was like leading the brigade on singing and they kind of put the blame on having to do a musical on him. <laughs> 
of course they show the moment with there's a lot of you have the main scenes but you have like a lot of the funny little scenes like the in-betweens to where you have david fury singing you know they got the mustard out at the laundromat you know at the laundromat and because that's the whole theme of the episode is to where something is made all of sunnydale to where it's turned into this big musical and everybody just breaks into song about just anything and everything and one of them is this big number that happens right at the laundromat where he's celebrating that they got the mustard out of his suit or whatever you know so Joss in the commentary, he talks about Under Your Spell, and he said that that was actually the first thing that he wrote of the songs. He said that and the beginning of James's song. And he said that he wanted Amber Benson to have the ballad because of how beautiful of a voice that she had. And he talked about Alison Hannigan. He said that she begged to sing as little as possible in the musical. She did not want to sing. So a lot of that scene that you see with Under Your Spell... And Joss actually talked about it. He said he almost thought that Allison had the harder part in that scene because, you know, Amber's doing all the singing and singing this great ballad. But with Allison not singing in it, it's so much on her to where she's having to react to everything. And it's such like a reactionary thing with Allison. So that's one thing he really talked about that amazing scene that under your spell was just awesome. It's probably my favorite song on the musical episode. He said that Nicholas and Emma's song was the most fun thing to shoot. And he wanted this to be like the Astaire Rogers scene because these characters were his comedy with Xander and Anya. And that was something that meant a lot to him. He also could do something that looked more classical with them and talked about how Emma had all sorts of training with this kind of a deal. So she just jumped right in to where Nicholas didn't have any training at all in this, but yet he dove right in and he was so, you know, just, he went for it. He just full went for it. And one thing, you know, with how much was in this episode, he mentions in the commentary that his intent was not for the episode to run long, but the problem that he had was that he couldn't figure out what to cut out. And he was he was just like, I can't cut any of this. There's nothing to cut out. UPN gave him the go-ahead to just make the episode go long, and they were fine with it. So that helped him out a lot. The walking scene with Giles, Xander, and Anya, where you see the one-shot to where they start with them on dialogue and then you'll see it pull wide and then there's something random, you know, where this one girl's got a parking ticket and she's singing to the cop and she's trying to get out of this parking ticket and then they zoom back in to them with the dialogue and then they zoom back out. And they he talked about how hard of a scene this was to do because it was one shot and they were cutting between the dialogue and into the musical stuff. And he said it was probably the 21st take of it because it was so hard to do in one move. Now with Spike, with James Marsters, he said he wanted something rock for Spike to sing. And he said that he loved that Spike in his song with Rest in Peace was that Spike was mad about having to burst into song 
But and then also instead of telling Buffy that he is in love with her, he is constantly going into like go away mode and get away from me. But yet he keeps coming back into the frame. And with the graveyard scene, you know, that played at the end of that, he said that he felt like he could have gotten them to the graveyard better, but he did like how it wrapped up. He did like how it all tied together there at the end. So he was happy with that. And he talked about Michelle Trachtenberg, where he said she was also somebody that begged, like, don't make me sing, just make me dance. She's like, I can dance, let me dance. So he came up with that and worked around something to where she could dance in the musical. And he said that he asked for the choreography for something like that to be like Peter and the Wolf was kind of what he was going for in that opening scene, opening sequence to where she's dancing in that scene with Sweet. And he said that he always wanted to introduce Sweet, the demon, with, with tap. He always wanted that to be a tap number. That's what was in his head. And he had always pictured him coming into the scene, tapping down the stairs. Now, with the first Buffy-Giles scene, where it was kind of like the training montage of sorts, uh, he said that Anthony's song was known that he was going to have the saddest song of the musical. And the singing was about you know, Anthony with Giles wanting to protect her, but eventually you have to take care of yourself. It was like that whole song and that whole deal was just kind of like a parent-type thing, you know, where he's looking after Buffy, but it's like he's wanting to protect her, but at some point she's got to learn to protect herself. And the story of basically Buffy being in her own world, ever she's ever since she's come back, she's been very like zoned out into her own world with the story, and also her just not paying attention even in the song, you know, where it's very symbolic of how she's been just kind of in her normal life since she's gotten back where she's just very zoned out and not paying attention to what's going on around her. And he wrote this scene and this song to basically portray that to where while, you know, Giles is singing all this about her and his concern about her and what he's got to do to actually help her at the end, you know, the song stops and she's like, did you say something? You know, where the whole time she was training and doing, doing all that and she wasn't paying attention to him. So like the end of that song portrays what was going on with the Buffy character at the time. So, and of course, he hypes how good Sarah Michelle Gellar was in the walk through the fire scene, just with the dominance feel that she brought to it. And he talks about the big fire truck scene where they where they show up right on cue where the where the gang's walking down the street and then the right on the cue with that with that lyric the fire, tar- fire trucks just come rolling across the street, and he was just so thrilled with that, saying that that might be the most perfect thing, like something he was just so proud of with how the team all got that together to just nail that so perfectly. So with toward the finale here, we got to give me something to sing about, and you know, this is the song where it brings the whole thing together. And he said that, you know, basically it was like, we did the musical, now we need a reason. And we need a, we need to show the reason why all this is happening and just bring it all together. 
And he said they struggled on how to choreograph the story of this song with Buffy. And that the heart of the piece is her singing about what she didn't want to say. And how this all brought out what she hasn't been wanting to say this whole time. And, you know, the hurt that it was going to bring to her friends. So... And, of course, Joss just talks about how great Sarah was in this and that they actually had a double for her in dancing, but the double almost never got used because Sarah was just so great at it and just had it down so awesome. So that so they had a double for her, but they just really didn't need her or didn't really use her hardly. And so he said with this scene, Two things needed to happen because he knew where they wanted to end up with the story. So he said basically Spike needed to say, go away, but then be the one to save her. And of course he wanted a fun ending with Xander, which is what we got. And he didn't want to kill the demon, saying you couldn't kill what he had done. So, and everything that had evolved out of his arrival and what all had happened. So he just wanted him to go away, just out on his own way, you know. So, of course, then we get to the grand finale with where do we go from here. He said that he actually, Joss said he wrote it on a guitar in London while he was on vacation. He just said he had this random guitar with him and he just wrote the song there just playing it one night. And... He called it the most important song in the whole piece because it described where all these characters were at emotionally with everything that happened in that episode and everything that had built to that episode. And it was like that song where they're all feeling all of their emotions at the same time. And now it's like, where do we go from here? Where do all these characters go from here? Of course, he talks about the moment with Buffy and Spike at the very end, and he talked about how he loved how the wall was lit behind them, saying it was a very West Side Story look to it. Joss says at the very end that he was happier with this musical than anything he had ever made, so you can tell just how much that that musical meant to him. So, Entertainment Weekly... Back in 2017, they did their big Buffy and Angel reunion where they brought a lot of the cast members together. They were actually asked about the musical, and I thought I'd read some of the quotes that they had about about the musical, looking back on it. And this was from 2017 Entertainment Weekly. Sarah Michelle Gellar had this to say. She said, I'm not a singer. I've never been, and I didn't have a lot of time with the material, so my original intention was to have someone else do the singing. What I didn't realize at the time is it would be such an emotional arc for the character. I didn't realize that would be the episode where you found out where she was. Then I talked to Joss, and I said, I don't have the time, and I don't feel confident enough to do it. We didn't get the script until like two or three weeks before, I really went back and forth to whether or not I was going to sing, and Joss said, I'll do whatever I can to make it as easy on you as possible, like bringing in my friend Adam Shankman, but it was exhausting. Uh, James Marsters had this to say. He said, I remember in general for different reasons. I think the entire cast was a bit terrified. I think one person, I forget who it was, actually asked to juggle chainsaws instead, like real chainsaws. 
and we didn't realize how big of a genius Joss was. One of the recurring themes of working on that show over the years was just the slow dawning of the amount of talent contained in that skull of Joss Whedon. I think it was our best moment because at some point we knew that Joss would not be talked out of it, and we definitely tried. And we stopped whining and we started working really hard, and suddenly there were voice coaches and dance coaches showing up on set, I think in the face of what we thought was certain doom, we decided to go out swinging. And I have said that for a bunch of Hollywood actors, that's as close to heroism as we're going to get. Anthony Stewart Head had this to say, Once more with feeling was my dream because I got to do a musical on TV and it was genius. It was extraordinary. One of my fondest memories is once I had done my song, I hung around the studio because I didn't want to leave. People kept coming in for their vocals and going, why are you here? <laughs> so, yeah, those are very cool quotes. I like that uh, Anthony Stewart Head was just hanging around. And, you know, it kind of in the commentary, it kind of makes you wonder, not in the commentary, in the behind the scenes, they have a lot of footage where they're just, where Joss is like sitting in the chair and he's just talking, kind of rambling with his uh, crew around him. He's just rambling and talking about different things that were going on and talking about the musical, but behind him, you see Anthony Stewart head a lot. And, you know, when I watched it, I just thought, well, maybe he's just getting ready for his scenes, you know, and things like that. And he's waiting to go on. But now after reading this, I'm kind of wondering if it might've just been when he was just sitting around watching everybody do their thing, you know? So that's something to think about now with because again this was so popular the musical was such a popular thing and you have to think about <clears throat> like rocky horror picture show think about how many fan events that there have been with something like that and this is something that got very popular with once more with feeling one thing that was popular in the years after was public sing-along events with this, and people would dress up, sing along with the show, they'd put the episode up on the screen, and then they'd sing along with it. And just very similar to Rocky Horror Picture Show type events. Clinton McClung was a New York film programmer, and he started holding events in the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston. And doing this with Once More with Feeling, and it gained a lot of popularity. And I remember seeing about this online at the time, that this was going on, and just people would post pictures from it, and just sounded like it was so fun. And so what they did, they went on the road with it, and a cast would perform the episode, the episode would play on the screen, the audience would participate. They just had this very cool road show that they were doing with it. And it got so popular that in 2007 at the Los Angeles Film Festival, they did a, like a special screening there and a sing-along that was held. And from Buffy, Marty Noxon and Joss Whedon appeared. And Joss even gave a speech to the crowd. And you could just tell then how much of a monster this thing had become with these fan events and just how much people were enjoying it and it was quite the buzz online like I said I saw that a lot of talk about these things I thought that would be really fun to go to something like that and of course now you know how this goes so however you know when something fun goes on a lot of times the studios get involved and so in October of 2007 
20th Century Fox pulled the licensing for the public screenings after a dispute that they had with the Screen Actors Guild over unpaid residuals. So that ended the sing-along era of Once More with Feeling. And so McClung, he had the legal clearances for the events, but apparently Fox was unhappy about something with it, saying that it had went beyond like the licensing agreements, and then they shut it down. And Joss Whedon was even just very disappointed over this, and he called it, quote, hugely depressing, is uh, how he uh, was quoted at the time when he learned that this had happened. And he was hoping he was hoping to change the studio's mind for the future. So that was one thing that really happened in the years, you know, after with the popularity of the musical, so, but even like up till now, you still see so much love and support for that musical episode. Like I said, it's it's a Halloween tradition for me that it's just like it's something that I schedule in my Halloween every year where I'm just like, you know, I'm going to going to put this up on my TV and I'm going to watch this and I do it every year and it's just my fun tradition and you know, anything like Buffy related, you know, there were action figures that were put out. Of course, they were releasing a lot of a lot of collectible figures at the time, and some of them that they released were like a lot of the figures and characters with their look from the musical episode. And it just it just goes to show the popularity of Once More with Feeling twenty years later, and it's so crazy to think that it has been 20 years since that premiered on UPN that night. And I see a lot of times with these virtual uh, panels that are going on whenever they get anybody from Buffy in there that one of the things they always get asked is often about the musical and their experience on that. And it was just such a great thing. It was a great vision to do something like that. And it really opened the door for a lot of other shows years later started doing musical episodes. There were a lot of shows that started doing musical episodes and Buffy really opened that door because at the time, I think people really thought this is crazy. Like you're going to do a musical episode. And there was a lot of like apprehension over it from, I think, a lot of critics and not sure how this was going to go. And then, but it was so loved by the critics. Like it got such, such a great response from critics. Critics loved it. And I think with that, it opened the door to so many other shows that have done musical episodes since then. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer gets a lot of credit for opening the door for musical episodes, for just random TV shows, you know, and just a very awesome thing for me. It's that musical episode is just something I look back with such fond memories. Like I said, I still have the poster. It's on my wall. I love it. You know, I love it. It's traditional. And, you know, I mentioned that convention when I went to that convention, I was like, I have to see this, I have to see it. It's like, it's part of the convention. You know, if I'm going to go to a Buffy and Angel convention, I have to watch the musical. I have to watch once more with feeling. So, I mean, there's a lot of, 
if you're a fan of it, there's a lot of collectible things out there, like I told you about. If I mean, you're going to pay a ton for that vinyl if you want that vinyl, but it's out there if you want it. You just have to search around on eBay and maybe some other collectible stores or something may have it. But you've got the collectible figures out there. You've got the soundtrack that's out there. The soundtrack's amazing. And yeah, so happy, happy 20 years to once more with feeling just 20 years still as awesome as it's ever been and just uh very excited and just happy that we got that musical as part of our Buffy fandom let's get into this week's crazy episode of survivor where the merge we got the sort of merge part two of course last week ended up being a part one to where we got the merge kind of not really but this was also the continuation of that episode from last week so i mean this was quite the two-parter with a a lot of build a lot of build to what ended up being an incredible tribal council last night on uh, Survivor. So, of course, again, we got the merge kind of last week where the tribes were brought together to compete in an immunity challenge. They were split into two teams with the winners safe and the others being able to be voted for and voted out. So Erica was sent to Exile Island in the twist where the winners of that immunity challenge got to pick who goes, and she was told it was paper, rock, scissors, on the decision on why she was sent, which it wasn't paper, rock, scissors, as her original tribe has been wanting to get rid of her for a while, to the point where they've been wanting to throw competitions to even get her out. So the twist here is that she has to go to exile for two days to where she has to live by herself, completely isolated from the game, by herself, has to provide for herself, make fire, eat food you know whatever everything is she's on her own she is on her own however there's a big twist to this it's not all bad for erica because there's a twist of course there's a twist because this season is all about twist all the time everybody gets a twist everybody gets an advantage everybody gets an idol so jeff shows up on exile and he talks to erica and she is given the twist of this hourglass to where she can turn back time. If she chooses to smash the hourglass, she will take the immunity away from the ones who want it. And they'll be vulnerable while the others will have immunity. Will, we, will she smash it? Do we want her to smash it? Of course we want her to smash it. Smash it and smash it hard. Because... <laughs> That's what we want. We want great TV. Will it add to the confusion of this season? Of course it will, but this season is completely confusing anyway, so let's just send it way off the cliff <laughs> and add even more confusion to it because it will be great TV, and it was great TV, but we're going to get there. So last night's episode, it opened up with the reveal of Erica's advantage here when she arrives at the next immunity challenge. Now, she did indeed smash it, which means that Sydney, Deshaun, Evie, Ricard, Nasir, and Danny are all now not safe, and they will compete for individual immunity, which is won by Ricard. 
And I feel like that that was a very good win for Ricard because I feel like I just feel like his name would have been thrown around as a possible vote to get him out. It just seemed like that would have been something logical. I don't know. It just seemed like he would have been a target. That's just kind of how my gut feels. So I feel like this was a really great win for Ricard to get this immunity and put some pressure on the others that uh, were not safe. So now where does the vote go from here? Well, immediately the target is put on Evie and Danny and Deshaun want to get a woman out. So them, Liana and Shan, they all put the target on Evie. The news starts flowing on who has what advantage and what they do. So Tiffany told Evie about Liana's advantage, which is where Again, Liana's advantage is she can ask any person if they have an idol or if they have an advantage. If they do, they have to answer it and hand the power over to Liana. Now she has to answer, she has to ask one or the other, do you have an idol? Do you have an advantage? And she has to make sure that she picks the right thing and the right person to ask. So that knowledge is crucial in something like that. So, again, Tiffany told Evie about Liana's advantage. And so this is a huge power here that Liana has. And soon everyone will know about this great power that uh, Liana's got here. So Evie told Xander about Liana's advantage, which is something he definitely needed to know because, again, everyone basically knows that Xander has power. They know he's packing around an idol and he's had advantages in this game as well. So Evie was panicking when she realized that she was in trouble. And Xander was telling her, no, you'll be safe. Her and Tiffany are trying to talk her down. Like, you're going to be okay. Just just chill out. We've got this. I've got an idol. It's all going to be fine. Then the Liana power gets into the mix here. So basically you have two powers in play and each side is trying to figure out how to beat the other, countering their powers. Following me here? There's a lot to follow. It's, it's a lot for even all of us that are hardcores. So Evie, Xander, and Tiffany are targeting Deshaun for their vote. And we get to Tribal Council at probably 7.35. I looked at the clock to see what time it was, and I'm thinking... How long is this tribal council? It is 7.35 and we're already at tribal council. And we've got like, you know, two more commercials probably still yet to come. So I'm thinking this has to be a long tribal council. So Evie says out loud that she knows that she's in trouble. Deshaun knows he's a target. Evie says she is counting on Xander to save her. And that is when Xander shows his idol revealing that he has it on himself now, one thing that was interesting here, too, is that Deshaun says, yeah, I knew I knew that Xander had an advantage all along because, because he told me, or because Evie told me when we went on our journey together, which outed Evie a little bit to Xander, where it's just like, hey, you gave up this information to, to Deshaun, like a guy that you just met from the other tribe, and you gave up this info, which kind of gave a tease that man, maybe Xander will not trust her as much and not want to use this power on her. But it didn't seem like it changed anything. It seemed like it just kind of rolled off and Evie, you know, backtracked it and tried to kind of get herself out of trouble there. 
So again, you know, Xander's showing his idol. He's revealing it right here in Tribal Council. And of course, all of Liana's crews all looking at Liana like, there's your play. Let's go. Let's do this. Because Liana was looking to do it. So that is like a bullseye for Liana. Because now she knows he has it in his possession. And I'm watching thinking, oh no, what are you doing? This surely cannot be your play here. Of all this, like, strategy talk that y'all have talked about and knowing that Liana has this power and that she's coming for you. I just keep thinking, that can't be your play. Surely it cannot be your play. So Liana goes for it, and she she enacts her advantage, asking Xander, do you have an idol, Xander? And he says, no, but you can have this fake. And he hands off a fake immunity idol to her. It was brilliant. It was so brilliant. And... We see a flashback video of them all talking where they're coming up with a fake idol and making it look convincing, wrapping it up, and this is what we're going to do. Very well played by Xander. I went from what are you doing to that was brilliant in seconds. Just really incredible move by Xander here. And of course, Liana's like, oh no. <laughs> and they've all just got like egg on their face. They're all just like, oh no, this is this is not good. Now what do we do? So this sets it all into chaos now because the plan was heavy and you were taking Xander's idol that would have protected her. Now Liana's power is gone. She didn't get an idol and now you know that idol is still in play. So Deshaun, Deshaun even here, he gives the move of Xander's like major props saying it sure messed his game up. Like, but that was a great move. You know, he says that was a great move. Messed me up completely. But that was a great move, and I got to give Xander props for it. So now, this sends everything into chaos with a live tribal, with a lot of getting up and roaming around, whispering and scheming, trying to figure out what they're going to do now. Sydney's name starts to get thrown around of let's vote her out, and things settle down a little bit at one point, and then things pick back up where we clearly have two sides gathered in huddles on opposite ends of tribal here trying to figure out what to do and Sydney's panicking at this point and she does use her shot in the dark advantage and she is the first person to use it this season now remember everybody is giving a shot in the dark this was something that was brought up earlier in the season and we have yet to see anybody use it until now this means that you can play this whenever you feel like you're not safe at tribal council you can play this power and draw for a one in six chance of being safe. So this also means, however, that she will give up her vote in the process. You can use the shot in the dark, but you give up your advantage in as a payback for uh, for being able to use this. So she does not draw safety when she does her draw. So she she's not safe here. All votes cast on her are going to count. So there is still concern over Evie's safety to where we see Tiffany, who now has Xander's idol, and she's wanting to play it on Evie, but Xander talks her out of it, like, no, don't do it, Tiffany. Evie's like, use it. <laughs> Please use it on me. Evie is wanting it played, and she is not feeling safe at all, which I completely understand. And Xander just keeps assuring her, you're safe, you're good, it's it's fine, we don't need to play it, you're good. 
So the votes come out, and the drama on the vote is between Sydney and Evie, and it comes down to the last vote where they are tied at four votes apiece. Sydney gets five votes to Evie's four, and that sends Sydney home from Tribal Council on this week's episode of Survivor. And it would have been interesting to see how things had played out if Sydney hadn't played her shot in the dark and kept her vote, and then whether the idol from Tiffany would have gotten played on Evie. Like, if Sydney hadn't used her shot in the dark, what would like what would ha- have happened like around that around her would things have changed would other moves have gotten made i don't know that's something that would be interesting to know but we are not going to know that but just quite the episode this was quite the episode quite the tribal council a lot going on. That's been the way this whole season is. Uh, is this all confusing for those of you that might not be Survivor fans? Yes, it is. Is it confusing for those of us that have been watching this show for 20 years? Yes, it is. It's so confusing. It's really hard to keep track of everything that's going on. Who has what advantage? Who has what idol? Who has an extra vote? Who can't vote? It's it's been a lot. I mean, was tonight's episode great? Yes, it was. But it's a whole lot to keep track of. And you know, this uh I'm really glad Erica and there's one point in the tribal council where all this chaos was going on and Jeff looks over at Erica and he says, "How are you feeling, Erica? You caused all of this." You know, kind of laughing about it and Erica's like, "Well, you know." <laughs> so feel pretty good, you know, cuz it's, you know, that was something I really wanted to see Erica do. And, you know, and it was, it was a good move on Erica's part anyway, because again, but Erica's tribe has been wanting to vote her out for, you know, several, several days now, several tribal councils to where the point where they've wanted to throw competitions. So this wasn't a bad move at all for Erica, because she was on the bottom here anyway, so why not make a move, shake it up, and see what happens? So I'm glad that Erica smashed the hourglass. And, I mean, what if she hadn't? She's like, nah, I'm not going to use it. We're just going to stick with status quo here. Which, you know, the producers were like, please smash that hourglass. Please smash it and smash it hard. And it provided for some great TV. This was uh, an amazing tribal council so now the the tribes are officially merged now. So let's see what happens next week and who goes home in the next week of Survivor. This week in pop culture, this is going to be a new segment I'm going to be doing on the podcast where we look back on this week and look back at some of the things that were popular, TV, movies, whatever, on this week at just random anniversary dates and years past. So we're going to jump back 25 years. What was popular on this week in 1996? Well, here's your TV ratings for the week. Number one show for October 28th through November 3rd of that week. ER on NBC drew 31.1 million viewers on a Thursday. Seinfeld was number two on NBC with 30.3 million viewers. 
Home Improvement followed at number three on ABC with 29.5 million viewers. That was on a Tuesday. Suddenly Susan, number four, NBC, 23.7 million viewers on a Thursday. Friends, number five on NBC, 23.3 million viewers on Thursday. Monday Night Football coming in at number six on ABC, 21.3 million viewers. And the game itself was between the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. Number seven was a Sunday night movie viewing of The Lion King on ABC with 25.9 million viewers. The Single Guy on NBC, 21.8 million viewers on a Thursday. Number nine, Spin City on ABC, 22.2 million viewers on a Tuesday. And rounding out the top 10 was NYPD Blue on ABC with 20.4 million viewers on a Tuesday. Here you're seeing the NBC lineup versus the ABC lineup. ABC was big on Tuesdays in that era, and NBC was big on Thursdays to where anything they stuck on that Thursday night time slot was just a winner. It drew viewers. So what was popular at the box office for the week of November 1st through the 7th, 1996? Number one, Romeo and Juliet, with its opening week at the box office drawing $14.5 million dollars. With that movie, I think more of the song, I think. I did see the movie. I think more of the song, that song number one crush that was released by Garbage. Such a huge hit that where the soundtrack was as big as the movie with that, uh, with that release back in 1996. Number two, Sleepers at $10.3 million in its third week of release. Number three, High School High, $10.3 million in its second week of release. Number four, The Ghost in the Darkness, $4.7 million in its fourth week of release. Number five, The First Wives Club, $4.65 million in its seventh week. Number six, Larger Than Life, $4.61 million in its opening week. Thinner, $4.5 million in its second week. Number eight was Dear God in its opening week, $4.04 million. Number nine was in its second week, The Associate, $4.02 million. And rounding out the top 10, set it off in its opening week, $2.9 million. So what about the music charts for this week in 1996? Here's what Billboard had for their top 10. No diggity, number one. No diggity, no doubt. Black Street featuring Dr. Dre. This was five weeks on the chart for the song, and it was up at number one. Number two, it's all coming back to me now, Celine Dion, 13 weeks on the chart at this point. Number three, I Love You Always Forever, Donna Lewis, 21 weeks on the chart. Number four, Macarena, Bayside Boys Mix, Los Del Rio, 21 weeks as well on the, on the charts. Number five, Unbreak My Heart, Tony Braxton, third week on the chart. Number six, This Is For The Lover In You, Babyface, featuring LL Cool J, Howard Hewitt, Jody Watley and Jeffrey Daniels. This was three weeks for it on the chart. Number seven, Mouth by Meryl Bainbridge. Ten weeks on the chart. Number eight, Where Do You Go? No Mercy. Nineteen weeks on the chart. This song here, every time I hear that song, I feel 1996. I love that song so much. I can just feel 1996. You know how you can feel with songs? That's one that makes me feel, especially that fall of 96. Number nine, Twisted, Keith Sweat, 21 weeks on the chart. Number 10, another Keith Sweat song, Nobody, featuring Athena Cage, 
six weeks on the chart. This is when Keith Sweat had both of those songs out basically at the same time. You know, one was out before, but you really didn't hear one song without the others. Both of those songs were just monster hits at the time. So Hotshot debut for Billboard that week was New Edition's I'm Still In Love With You. That song would become a monster in its own right as uh, the time went along. Biggest airplay gain, Amber, This Is Your Night. Debut, Don't Let Go, in vogue, it landed at number 25. And that song goes along with Set It Off that you heard in the top movies for the box office for that week. That soundtrack was big, and there were so many songs on that soundtrack that were great. And, you know, it's you can tell they're both playing off one another here to where you see that In Vogue song landing from that soundtrack on here on the Billboard debut, and then that movie also being released for its opening week. That was an awesome soundtrack. I never even saw the movie set it off, but I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack was awesome. So that is your week in pop culture on this week in 1996, 25 years ago, amazingly. That wraps up this week's Entertainment Goes Pop podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, God bless, and have a great week.